When I was a kid, I wanted to be a video game designer. Now I'm a venture capitalist. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Hello, it's Ben. Hope your new year is off to a good start. I just wanted to give you a heads up that later in this episode, I asked my guest, investor Elena Hartley, about her thoughts on SPACs, aka special purpose acquisition companies. Full disclosure that since our conversation, it's been announced that her firm, Greycroft, is forming a SPAC of their own called Powered Brands. With that little housekeeping out of the way, I hope you enjoy the episode. My guest today is Elena Hartley. Elena is an investor at the venture capital firm Greycroft, whose investments have included Bumble, Goop, and Venmo, among others. Based in the Los Angeles office, Elena's responsibilities include sourcing, evaluating, and executing early-stage investment opportunities, and working with existing portfolio companies. Prior to joining Greycroft, Elena worked at Bain & Company, where she consulted across Bain's private equity, technology and media, and retail practices. Previously, Elena drove go-to-market and brand strategy initiatives for Snap Inc.'s first hardware product, Spectacles, earning 14 nominations and 6 wins at the 2016 Cannes Lions Awards. Elena holds a BA in economics from the University of Southern California. She's also an active member of the Junior League. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Elena. Thanks for having me, Ben. Of course. Really happy to have you here. And I'd like to start by, by alluding to that, that bit we were just talking about earlier before we got on the recording, where... I saw you, you know, speaking with a founder at a coffee shop and it, it made me think of, I think what most people's understanding of investing looks like when it comes to founders pitching is Shark Tank. And I'm so curious, like, <laughs> what are those meetings actually like with founders? Is it similar to Shark Tank? Is it super different? I'm curious what, you know, what those meetings look like for you and what you're looking for when you're meeting with a founder. Sure. Well, things look a little different in 2020 than they maybe did before. Um, I'm spending a lot more time on Zoom now than in coffee shops. But, you know, something that's really special about working at Greycroft in particular, I think, is that we're a multi-stage firm. And so what that means is we can invest any time between the seed round and pre-IPO, right? Because we have both an early stage fund and a growth fund. And so what's great about those meetings is it's less about squeezing in within 30 minutes, trying to learn everything about their business and life story, and really more about building a relationship and kind of sharing both ways about the insights that we've had. Uh, A big part of this business is relationship building. Um, You're kind of pitching both ways, right? Venture capital is really increasingly competitive space and you need to be able to explain why founders should work with you too. So I love meeting in coffee shops. I think it's a great, uh, you know, middle ground between everyone. No one has the home field advantage. Uh, Plus I can get an ice matcha latte, which is always a great part of the day. And the best part is it's kind of like a relaxing environment just to get to know each other because when we're evaluating an investment, the important things that we think about, of course, you're, you're looking at market size and you're analyzing the data of the investment. But at the end of the day, really at the early stage, what matters are the key paradigm shifts that are happening in the market. 
that are driving uh, the demand for whatever it is that the founder is creating. And it's the team, right? Because the idea might evolve a million times, but you're tied to whoever this team is for, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah. So just to maybe hone in on an example, can you walk me through the process? And if you want to name names, you can, but just so people can get an idea of what that process looks like, sort of A to Z. Can you walk us through, you know, good meeting with founder, diligence process, investment, helping them in a, as a portfolio company? What does that process look like for you? Sure. Well, the way I think about it is that a venture capital firm has to be good at four things. Uh, you have to be good at sourcing new investments. You have to be good at identifying the right ones. Uh, you have to be able to win competitive deals. And then fourth, you have to be able to support those companies that you invest in really well over time to help help them navigate what is a really long and often isolating journey and also to help maximize the outcome for everyone. So, you know, what the process can look like, it often varies. Uh, I know it depends. It's kind of a cheap answer. But um there are a lot of factors that affect how long it takes, right? One is kind of the sense of urgency. Two might be the level of competition for, to, to participate in that round. Um, and three might even just be like how high of a priority it is for the founder to raise money. Um, in the venture capital industry, uh, there's a couple different types of fundraising processes that can happen. One is kind of a more formal fundraise process where maybe an uh, on the founder side, they've developed their hit list of firms that they'd like to speak to. They have an idea in their head of how much they want to raise and what that capital will be used for, right? Like what growth levers are important to them in the next chapter of their company's journey. Um, and they start scheduling meetings and hit the ground running and kind of have an idea in their head on timeline. The other type of fundraise that happens now, increasingly frequent, uh, is the preempted round, right? Where another investment firm gets really excited about the business and maybe it, you know, the company or the founder wouldn't have thought about raising money at that time. But when you see the demand, you take advantage of the demand, right? Um, kind of interesting how hard it is to sell money these days um and so what that process looks like you're right it's oftentimes like that first coffee shop meeting and maybe a couple after just to continue getting to know each other and really digging in on the strategy and the vision and the opportunity um and, and the mission and vision for the brand right that's often really important too at least on the consumer side for sure um and then oftentimes uh we'll submit a data request I, I know that's not the sexy part, but uh, it's really important to, to dig in and really understand the business itself. Um, I think Graycroft in particular has a really strong operational and financial lens that we take when we're evaluating a business. And we care a lot about um, the go-to-market and the customer centricity of a business, whether it's consumer or enterprise. Um, and then really what it kind of culminates in as, as we start to gain conviction would be a presentation to our entire investment team. Um, something that's really important to us is gathering everyone's perspectives around the table. We're super lucky to have a team that's incredibly diverse, like all different kinds of uh, experiences and expertise are represented. And so a company, uh, you know, while there's folks around the table who can comment uh, really deeply on the industry or problem that that company is tackling, there's also a lot of people around the table who can offer a super fresh perspective um, and maybe apply best practices from whatever sectors that they kind of major in uh, at Graycroft. So that's typically what a process looks like, the amount of time it takes, 
can totally range. Uh, it can be a few days to a month, you know, you never know. Yeah. And that, that's, that's one of the things I, going back to you, the point you just made about people coming to the table with different experience. I think that's, that's something I find pretty fascinating about venture capital because for the most part, people are doing at least a couple of jobs out of college before they join a VC firm. There are definitely stories of people joining straight out of college, but usually people are acquiring these different experiences and then ending up in venture capital. Let's talk a little bit about your prior experience and how that's kind of helped your process too. Cause you mentioned, you know, evaluating whether your founders and their companies are ready to go to market. That's a big part of your job. And that's something that you have experience on the other side with, right? So having had that experience, having had the brand strategy experience, how do those kind of influence your approach? Sure. Well, maybe it would help actually if I were to rewind it back even a little further. Um, so in college, I think I was a sophomore or junior, um, kind of going through that, I guess, rite of passage, maybe of figuring out what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, and to answer that question, I did what I think a lot of USC students are encouraged to do and reached out cold to a bunch of alumni, uh, trying to get some perspectives and insights and see if that could help me narrow down what I wanted to do. Um, and when I was on that journey, um, I reached out cold to a USC graduate who was a principal at a venture capital fund in LA. Um, and he gave me the advice, like, look, if you want to end up in venture capital one day, which I think would be a great fit for you, uh, you should go try to do uh, investment banking, consulting, or work in, you know, product or some kind of strategic cross-functional role at a startup first. Um, and his rationale for that was, you know, each of these kind of gives you of course, an analytical toolkit, which is really important in the diligence process. It also helps you kind of identify good companies and great companies, really like digging in there. And then honestly, I, I found most importantly, uh, it provides you with executive level communication skills. Uh, communications, I know it sounds really silly, but I think uh, communications is probably the most important important skill for someone who wants to enter venture capital. And I don't think that that's advertised enough. Uh, you know, a lot of my time is spending, spent writing memos. A lot of my time is spent interacting with founders, right? And, and really um, also speaking with my own team, right? And helping them understand what types of trends I'm seeing in the market and why I find an investment so compelling. And I think it's really important skill to be able to communicate concisely what matters, why, what's the action, right? Like always have a bias for action. And so I, I took his advice, this alumni that I talked to on the phone when I was a sophomore or junior in college, I went, I spent summer investment banking. It wasn't quite for me, but I learned a ton. Uh, then I went and worked at Snap, which was uh, a very fortunate, uh, lucky uh, happening that I met the recruiter on my way to math class one day um, and it ended up working out pretty well. Um, and then I decided to go do consulting after school and I signed with Bain and Company. Um, anyway, here's where it all comes together is I then went to Bain and Company, had the opportunity to work, as you mentioned, with private equity, technology, retail, media, tech practices. Um, and during that time, a partner that I worked closely with, uh, Hubert Shen, uh, was an amazing mentor to me and a great manager. And he knew that I was interested in the VC space. Um, and he said, look, you've done a great job here. I'd love to refer you to my friend. He, like my neighbor is actually a venture capital investor. Um, do you mind if I just send over your resume and information? And I was like, sure, that's so nice of you. I'd love to have like an informational call with him and learn more. Um, 
it turns out that his neighbor was Dylan Pierce, who is now a partner and running the growth fund at Graycroft. And he was the same guy who gave me all of that advice when I was in college. Oh, actually. wow. Yeah. Oh. And so we got connected on email. <laughs> and the first thing he said when we jumped on the phone was like, you took my advice. <laughs> and so I just think it's so important. You know, I didn't have existing connections in the industry, um, but I just kind of hustled and, you know, a lot of things come full circle. So that, I guess that's my story. Wow. That worked out so, so well. Yeah. Really, truly full circle. That's, that's incredible. I love that story. Um, so, so let's say, you know, you, you have a, a meeting with a founder who you believe in, you, you dig into their startup, you like what you see, you like the team, you invest in them, you bring them on board. Then what are some of the, the ways that you can offer guidance? Because um, you mentioned, you know, there are times where you really believe in the team and you think you can offer guidance uh, as they pivot and try something new. And sometimes that, that actually turns out to be a better approach for the company. So it's, it's all about believing in the team and their ability to adapt and, and, and move forward. So what, what does it look like when you're not just, you know, you've met the founder and now you're, they're part of the, part of the portfolio and you're helping them, you're helping them move forward. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing that really drew me to Graycroft uh, culturally is that we support all investments together, right? It's not like you have one point of contact at the firm if you're a founder and that's who you always go to. We really support our entire portfolio as a team. Um, and it's also not just uh, the investment lead or manager, right? Who, who's kind of boots on the ground there. Um, we have the most incredible platform team, who I just have to shout out, um, including Stuart Easterby, who is the COO of True Car through IPO, and Allison Lang Engel, who before coming to us, she was actually the CMO of Stripe, and before that, VP of Marketing at LinkedIn, right? And so these people who bring expertise around go-to-market, operational scaling, recruiting, right? Um, so we have that group, which all of our portfolio companies have access to. In terms of what I do personally, I think there's a few different touch points where I can engage and be most helpful. Of course, one is in the board meetings themselves, right? Um, most early stage startups um, have quarterly board meetings or at least kind of casual maybe updates that initially when they're a seed stage company with their major investors. And so that's a, a good forum to provide feedback and honestly just create a space where you can get out of the tactical day-to-day -day and think more strategically about the long-term vision of the company, which, you know, when, when you're really busy hustling and executing, you don't necessarily have time <laughs> to think about that day-to-day. -day. So it's great to come up together and then share those market insights. Um, I think outside of board meetings, though, there's a lot of opportunities to be helpful. Like one area is really just being supportive. Um, I have a few founders with whom I just have standing calls with every two weeks um, just to really check in and see what they need and how they're feeling. Yeah, I mentioned it before, but entrepreneurship can be a really lonely uh, and stressful journey. And so I think, you know, one thing that Dina Settle, one of our co-founding partners at Graycroft always says is that our job is to be the rock, right? Entrepreneurship and startups, they're it's a job with a lot of really high highs and really low lows, right? Kind of yep. big curve there. And, you know, a in great investor's job is to just kind of be the steady, uh, the steady ear that's there to listen and the hand that's there to help. So that's what we do our best to do. So whether it's board meetings, frequent check-ins, 
uh, and more tactically like helping think through fundraising strategy for the next financing round, or even, um, you know, making introductions to great candidates for certain roles that you know are high priority. Um, there are all kinds of ways that you can just be a super connector and a touch point, um, and honestly, just another resource in, in their toolkit. VC firms being the rock for, for entrepreneurs, <laughs> I, I, that, that resonates with me. What I think is super interesting is that in the VC world, there are times where you might find your competitor co-investing with you in a project, right? So, so it's plausible that an entrepreneur has the good fortune of having multiple rocks that they could turn to. So yeah. what, are, what does that look like? Um, when, you know, the person who I guess on paper is your competitor also ends up being your co-investor in some capacities. What's that dynamic like with other firms? It is, it's kind of a fun, like game theory dynamic, right? Uh, <laughs> the competition versus cooperation. Um, for Greycroft, everything is cooperation too, actually. So we're, we're ultra flexible. You know, I, I mean, we're, we're a founder friendly firm. Everyone kind of says that now. I know it's like the marketing jargon of the moment, but really tactically what that means for us is that we're ultra flexible on all kinds of terms and, and structures and, you know, we're, our check sizes and ownership targets. Like what we are not flexible about is that we syndicate every deal actually, which means that we are never going to be the only investor in a financing. We're going to also invite others to participate. We're, we're also actually a founding signatory of the diversity rider, which um, another venture capitalist uh, based in Los Angeles, Alejandro Guerrero put together um, where if we're leading an investment, uh, we will always ensure that there's at least one, uh, one investor group that's joining us who is led by a diverse check writer or diverse fund manager too and so a lot of belief that we can all help with different things right Greycroft is not going to be the person to help with every problem we do our best but there are others who are very complimentary to us but you're right to say that um, oftentimes we are competing too right and I think where game theory comes into play is that this is not like a one-time interaction between firms, right? And I think that's why you hear a lot of times people say venture capital is a long-term business. It's all about reputation. It's all about your network, right? And it's because the same groups are going to keep coming up. And so I think while it is competitive, it also has to be cooperative because everyone is playing that long game together. And so they're going to be trade-offs. You're going to win sometimes and sometimes not. But again, that's why it's so important to build a relationship with a founder and that level of trust um, so that hopefully they choose to work with you. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the ideal outcome. Right. And now at this point, you've, you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different founders. I'm curious, what are some, what are some common traits you found between some of your most successful founders? Um, I would say the number one theme that I see in the founders that I've worked with and that we've invested in is that they felt the pain themselves, right? Whatever they're building oh, wow. is to solve a need that they've experienced because then they have that deep empathy with the user or the customer. And that's so important, right? Because that, that kind of, it radiates across how you approach products right? Like who you're designing for. If you have a good idea of who that user is and what value they're seeking, it also informs your go-to-market approach, right? Like where are you going to find them on their journeys and how are you going to reach them in a meaningful way? Like what messaging will work? And frankly, it also helps you build your culture, right? Finding people who believe in your mission too um, and are really on board, uh, I, I think is huge. Um, and so 
that I would say is the most common theme. Other areas I think are important though, um, really are, uh, you know, of course the product, we will always, always demo the product and use it. And, you know, that's so important that it's not, it's not incrementally better than what's out there already. It's step functions better than whatever is existing on the mm. market. Right. Um, and then two, of course, is the market. Uh, but, you know, people comment a lot on how big or how small a market is. And, you know, the reality is you can draw the lines any way you want. Like market definition is totally more art than science anyway. Right. Like if I were to say that a company competes in the enterprise SaaS space, well, that's going to be a huge market. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. the reality is some of these companies um, compete in a much smaller market or smaller portion of that market is serviceable but the reality is that with a great product you could expand into new adjacencies or you could deliver more value and command a higher contract value with your customers too over time right and so the market piece i think is important but more important is the dynamic in the market and those paradigm shifts that are driving that change and so that's how you're going to add differentiated value um so hopefully that answers the question yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, the market and, and the current situation of the market, because something that has, has recently emerged as, as a big part of the stock market has been SPACs. And that, that's, uh, that's uh, I don't know how much experience Greycroft has with SPACs, but it just, it seems to be everywhere now as a very, as a, as a exit strategy that's becoming more, more and more common um, and really competing with traditional IPOs. So, this, for I mean, I, I'm new to this term myself. So for anybody listening who has never heard of this, it's called a special purpose acquisition company. And I'm curious, from your perspective as a VC, what do you think of all these SPACs emerging? Um, if you could briefly explain what they are to people who, the, the lay people like myself who are listening and being <laughs> like, what trivia. is he talking about? <laughs> what is he talking about? And, and do you think, what do you think of it as a viable uh, exit route for some of your companies compared to traditional IPOs? Sure. So... I think the easiest way to describe a SPAC is to say that it's essentially a sponsored IPO. Imagine that um, an investor group essentially creates a publicly traded entity and says, our only job is to go acquire or combine with one company. We're going to pick a private company and we're going to take it public and then that will be our company, right? So they're essentially raising money to go out and identify that company. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why it, why I guess SPACs might be becoming more popular now. And please note, I am not a public markets expert, but it certainly has yeah. impact on, on our side of the business. So, um, you know, the reality is that, you know, Bill Gurley from Benchmark says it way better than I ever could. But the reality is that IPOs can sometimes be inefficient. Uh, in the pricing process. And a SPAC could theoretically offer, um, you know, more accurate valuation, perhaps a better deal for the founders participating, give retail investors, um, so non-institutional investors like individuals, more access earlier on. Um, there's, there's a few different benefits that they could theoretically have. But I honestly think that the broader my broader perspective on it is that the more options an entrepreneur has, the better, right? Um, yeah, I think right. that, you know, an entrepreneur has the opportunity when, let's say the business is going well, right? Fingers crossing, finding wood to knock on right now. Um, and, and an entrepreneur is evaluating the options for their business. Maybe would it help if I just laid out kind of what those decisions are available to them? So 
One is to continue building the business and keep growing it. Like that's always a potential answer is to just continue running the business and, and not right. truly exit or perhaps um, buy out your investors even eventually, right? And then continue to run it over time. Um, and that's a perfectly good answer too. Um, and maybe you fund that with equity, which would be venture capital money, right? People buying stock in the company or debt. That works too. Um, another option would be to exit through M&A, right? By selling the company. You could sell it to a strategic investor or to a financial investor, which would be like a private equity firm um, or, or a leveraged buyout LBO firm, you might hear it called. Um, or the other option is to go public, right? And so it used to be that you only had an IPO. That was your option. That was your route to go public where you'd have to engage a bank and uh, that bank helps determine your value and then goes and markets you all over the place. And then that's how you get out. Um, you know, now you, you have the traditional IPO process, you have the direct listing process and you have a SPAC opportunity too. Right. And so I think we're really early in seeing what, what SPACs in the mainstream look like. They've been around forever, but have not been as uh, as prominent in the categories in which we invest, but I always think the more options, the better. I feel like I have to ask, you know, when you when you're sitting with a founder, like what what advice do you have for for a founder who has these traits that you've been talking about? You know, like they've addressed they've addressed a problem that is near and dear to them. They've put together the team, and they're they're sitting across from you now because I I can imagine a world where somebody could have those things, but maybe didn't nail the presentation, um, didn't communicate those things in a way that, that engages you fully. What are, what are some things that you suggest to a founder, assuming they have all these things in terms of telling the story of them and their company and the mission? Authenticity is key, right? If you really believe what you're saying, then the passion comes through. Uh, and then your problem becomes reigning in that passion so that you make sure that you're able to share the most important details. Um, but, you know, I think just honestly, the advice that we get founders, right, like they are in it building their business like 24 hours a day, every day, right? They will be yeah. the expert on that. I think the value sometimes that a venture capital investor can add is sometimes similar to what, um, you know, a consultant can add. And I think maybe that yeah. that's a little bit of crossover for me is just bringing a, an outside perspective, someone who isn't so deep in it and can look at it with a 10,000 foot view. Um, and oftentimes it's really affirming what they know is the right path forward um, and, and just listening. Um, and so I think when you're meeting with, with venture capital investors, you, the biggest thing to do is to strike a balance between sharing the vision, right? And focusing on the mission and why it drives you and why you think this could be a huge company with sort of the day-to-day -day execution, what you've already achieved, right? And founders sometimes over-index on one or the other, you know, either it borders on hubris and it's really focused on, you know, in 10 years, <laughs> we're going to be a trillion dollar company. Um, and other right. times it's really like, here's what we were able to achieve last month. I think that we can maybe grow it a little more this month, right? Like it's finding the balance between making those claims. Um, but overall, if you're excited about your mission, we'll get excited too, or the right investor will. Um, and so I just really love the best part of my job is getting to meet these authentic founders who really believe in what they're building and that it has to exist. Right. Um, and so that's what gets me fired up is, 
working with companies that will hopefully make the world a better place and, and drive impact. And of course, hopefully drive returns for our limited partners, but also for them as founders and for their employees too. I, I don't know if you've had this experience yet, but you, you know, you have the experience sometimes of founders succeed and then they come back with another venture and it's cool to, it's cool to see people who you were in on the ground floor with, you know, they made it to the promised land. They're, they're off to another adventure. I think there's, there's something cool about this ecosystem, just the support of it that we've talked about, you know, how even among VC firms, you guys are all looking to find the right person, the right team to support. And if that means competitors coming together, so be it. That's, that's part of the process. And then, you know, when it comes to helping founders, I think, I think it's, I think it's a beautiful process. And if I could have chosen my passion, I would have chosen venture capital. Um, but alas, I chose TV writing and that's, that's been my passion. So I'm running with oh that for now. I do think <laughs> that there are some misconceptions that it's a very glamorous job. I do need yeah. the world to know I'm only getting coffee <laughs> at max twice a day. The rest of the time yeah. I'm sitting here in front of my computer, like everyone else. Um, right. but you know, one other note, Ben, you mentioned, uh, like earlier that you're competing and cooperating with other firms. But yes. also, we're, com we're often competing and cooperating with founders even uh, to get into deals yeah. now, right? Because so many individuals are investing as well. And so I just think everyone brings so many different perspectives to the table. And it's really part of a venture capitalist job is to help curate those perspectives, both which ones they listen to and which ones we let inform our decision making. And also which ones we're helping connect with our companies too, to make them even better and help them execute on their visions. Yeah. And for people interested, I highly suggest checking out Graycroft in the portfolio. It's filled <laughs> with companies you've heard of and, and companies you might have not heard of, but doing great stuff. So I think it, I think it's worth checking out for anybody interested in venture capital. So the one thing I'm like personally curious of, but I didn't want to take up too much yeah. of your time was uh, I've, I've become very well, well versed in the WeWork story, the debacle and just <laughs> private valuations. But yeah. it sounds like and how like murky they are. But it sounds like that is actually something that can be, you know, toyed with a lot by the banks taking it public. It's less of a VC thing, but maybe not. I don't know. But I just find it so fascinating how opaque the private valuation side is compared to public and the room for error there. And especially now with the IPOs that we just saw with Airbnb and DoorDash and even C3 AI and just the pops we're seeing on that first day is just is just something phenomenal to me in a crazy way. So that that's something I was curious of, but that's more of a personal vanity. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's a good question, right? Because we get that a lot too, actually. Um, and I think every firm has a totally different style, right? Um, for Graycroft, I think um, we use actually a lot of public market techniques to really think about valuation. And we spend a lot of time thinking through how we underwrite our investments and really specifically in identifying how we can help them generate value too, right? It's all part of the same right. exercise. That's a little bit more strategic, but agreed that at the end of the day, in, in startups and venture capital, you're paying ahead a bit, right? Like you're paying ahead of where the business is yeah. today um, because you have to be able to see the vision and assign value to that. But at the same time, it's really also about capitalizing the business as efficiently as, and as responsibly as possible. So that's right. a big part of our job. When, when I say that we help founders think through their next financing rounds, it's also helping coach around valuation, around which investors to target, how much they need to raise, and how, like, what types yeah. of milestones they should be working towards with that money. So um, 
especially with first time founders, it's not something that you should know or should, should have to, or be able to come in knowing. So um, there is a lot of information asymmetry in the market and, and it can be tough. All right. So we'll get into the rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? And let's for fun say no portfolio companies. Oh my God. I challenge you to think of a non-portfolio company app that you can't live without. Well, my most used app is the Outlook app. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that my favorite app is my Blue Bottle app. It has like the no functionality except it allows me to buy my blue bottle matcha every day in advance while I do my walk. I do a mile and a half walk to blue bottle every day from my house and it's my morning routine. So um, I treasure that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Secondly, who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? I think the dream would have to be Tina Fey. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Uh, Gosh, I really wish I could be one of those people that functions well on like four hours of sleep a night. Not me. I need seven plus. <laughs> I, I read a book about a former VP at Microsoft who has mastered the four hours and but he has like timed cold showers and very, very specific things he does. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to stick with the seven plus hours. That's more straightforward for me. <laughs> exactly. I think how much more productive could I be with all those hours in the day? But my bed is cozy and it's so important to rest and recharge. So you, know, you just got to tell yourself tomorrow can wait, uh, you know, prioritize your own, your own care. Amen. And where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? I think, you know, Japan is pretty high on the list. Uh, I'm a big skier. So I'd love to go there during winter and it probably comes through pretty clearly in this conversation, but I am obsessed with matcha. And so it's the perfect place to go for matcha everything. Yeah, we just had the founder of Alfred Coffee on and he has a few Alfred tea rooms in Japan. And he talked about how when he was setting up there, he wanted to advertise matcha because that's such a big thing here. And in Japan, it's it goes without saying that there's matcha. They didn't want to even include it at first because they're like, that's a given. Like everybody knows that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm so in. I'm such a fan of Alfred and what they've built. It's a remarkable company. Great brand. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Josh has, has done a great job just building building a vision and just branding next level. Just a branding savant, in my opinion. Well, and, that's the uh, thing, honestly, with the founders that we work with, maybe the best thing we can do for them is just get out of the way. Right? The ones who yeah. have their playbook and they're like, I'm going for it. And that's, that's great too. And we, we finish by asking our guests to share a song that they're jamming to, which we'll add to our Spotify playlist of all our guests' recommendations. So if you could contribute the song that you're jamming to right now, what is it? I'm actually a big, uh, you know, like 60s, 70s, 80s rock person, actually. Um, cool. I think the most recent one. been doing a lot of drives on the PCH, uh, and I love, uh, I love the Ventura Highway by America. It's a good jam. And uh, for people interested, where can they learn more about you and your work and keep up with you on social media? Definitely. Um, feel free to, to follow me on Twitter, just at Elena underscore Hartley. And on LinkedIn, you can find me too under my name. Um, and would always love to keep in touch. And I'm happy to answer any questions for people who are interested in the industry too. My email is Elena at gradecroft.com. I respond to everything. And, you know, there were a lot of people who helped me on my journey. And I always try to pay it forward. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much. I think you might be the first one who's just been so forward with that. I appreciate that. Thank you. So yeah, for anybody who's who's listening, take Elena up on that if you're more curious about the, the VC process or investing or anything in that world. And if you're interested in our podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Elena, thank you so much. I've learned that it goes way beyond Shark Tank, which is which is exciting and cool. <laughs> I'm glad I could dispel any rumors. Sadly, it is not <laughs> nearly as exciting and dramatic as Shark Tank, but pretty rewarding. So thanks for letting me come on and share.